let, let, me, let me give you a couple things to think about. Again, not resolutions, but foundations. Here, here's some things that, that, that we say. Champions do daily what others do occasionally. All right? Champions do daily what others do occasionally. How many want to be a champion spiritually? Great foundation. All right. See, if you show me your habits, I can tell you your destiny. Your habits determine your future. Champions do daily what others do occasionally. It's the little consistent things in your spiritual journey that make big, big differences in your life. Spiritual growth usually is a process of momentum. It's not erratic ups and downs. It's not big highs and lows. Real spiritual growth is usually a process of momentum, a combination of consistent small decisions that you make that cause great shifts to happen in your life. So I want to encourage you. We're, I want to do everything I can to help you begin the best year we've ever had spiritually as the foundation of your life. How many can say amen to that? So, so we have a plan. We, we have a vision. We have direction. We're putting, it, uh, we're putting plans to that. So I want you to see how all these pieces tie together and what I believe that God is going to do something very, very, very special. So I'm excited about that. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ruth, uh, an unusual book, uh, a wonderful little book uh, after Joshua and Judges, the book of Ruth. Uh, we're we're going to use that for a, our study today, and I'm going to read uh, probably, uh, well, a lot of Scripture. Now, how many of you uh, ladies, I'm not even going to ask the guys, how many of you ladies have loved the Hallmark Christmas movies? Come on, how many think? Has it been awesome? Well, listen. It's okay to clap. You don't have to be embarrassed. I know you've been watching them. There are a few that came on in my house. That's all I'm going to say. But the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth makes the Hallmark Christmas movie look like a bad Western movie. I'm going to tell you. This is a story. And it's a, it's a real event that happened. So this is my final message in the gift wrap series. So, Pastor, come on, we're, it's after Christmas. Why are we still going to talk about gift wrap? Well, remember, remember what our, our, our main point is. Some of God's greatest gifts have come to us how? In the most unlikely packages. Isn't that true? Haven't we learned that during this series? Some of God's greatest gifts have come to us wrapped in the most unlikely packages. But today, I want to talk about something that Ruth encountered that most of us encounter in our life. We usually don't use this term, but I want to talk about today this thing that happens around this time of year, and it's called regifting. Everybody kind of understands the regift thing sometimes, right? You know, uh, somebody gave you a gift, you didn't know they were going to give you a gift, and now you're, what are you going to do? I'm caught. I got to give them a gift, and you regift. You kind of give them another, or somebody does. So, so, Pastor, what does regifting have to do with all this? Well, when you think about that concept, of regifting, it's really somebody gave you something, you didn't want it. Somebody thought it had value and they gave it to us. And what happens when we regift? What are we doing? We're saying, you know, I don't recognize any value in this. We're saying, you know what, I don't really appreciate this gift. We're saying, you know what, I reject this gift. And there are going to be times in everyone's life where we feel like we were regifted. Where somebody looked at us and said, I don't see your value. Where somebody looked at us and said, I don't appreciate who you are. 
where somebody looked at your life and you gave them your best and they rejected you. They turned and walked away from you. And you feel like a regift. You, you, you feel like something that your values diminished, you're not appreciated, you're rejected, you're not recognized. And we're going to look at Ruth's life today and her story. And, and, and again, I'm, there are four small chapters. Ruth is an amazing book. It's only, only one of two books in the Bible named after a woman. So we want to look at this book and, and, and see what's the story, what's going on here. And see if you can relate to Ruth's experience. See if you have ever encountered this sense of rejection, this sense of I, I gave you, I offered my time, I offered myself, and, 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 and you didn't want it. You know, you, you didn't do that. I've told you before that one of the things that, that, that I dealt with uh, as, as a kid, and I think we all have, maybe we could relate to this type of situation where... Uh, I remember I always wanted, I have an older sister. I don't have an older brother. I have a younger brother. I'm the middle kid. And uh, you know what they say about middle kids, they're the best. But anyway, uh, you know, I have an older sister and a younger brother. So, so I always wanted to hang out with the older kids. And, and because my sister, I mean, I didn't want to hang out with older girls. Sorry, ladies. But I wanted to hang out with the older guys. So I was a little brat running around. And, and I wanted to play basketball with them and football with them and, and baseball with the older guys. So do you remember how they would used to choose teams? You know, there's probably some app for it now. I don't know how, how you do it now. It's probably an app for choosing teams. But, you know, we would go down, let's go to the baseball field. And they had the two captains, you know, and, and they'd flip a coin. Remember real money? I mean, this, I guess you had to flip coins like that now. I mean, how do you flip a coin now? Like that? Or, but anyway, we had real money. It kind of looks like this and stuff. And so they'd flip a coin, and whoever won the coin toss would pick first. So everybody's standing in front of them, right? And so they choose, you know, they start with the best players. I'll take him, I'll take him, I'll take him, I'll take him. Because I was the little kid always, I was always the last one, you know. And so after they choose everybody else, and there I was. And then they wouldn't even choose me. They'd look at me and go, you can have him. And so that was kind of how it goes. And, and I didn't realize then, but I was kind of being re-gifted right then in my life. Because here I was supposed to be on this team, and the guy goes, I don't even want George. You could take him. So, you know, re-gifted. You ever felt that way in your life? Ruth had to deal with this issue again and again. And we want to see what happened and what we learned. I think you guys need to give me some gas on these lights right here. Okay, thank you. you. You turn the others off and pull these up. Good, thanks. So let's look at Ruth, chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephraimites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. So, so what happened? It's just what we read, a famine in and around Jerusalem, in, in and around Bethlehem, in the area of Judah. And so they left their country, went to a foreign country nearby, just on the east side of the uh, Sea of Galilee, there and, and uh, the Jordan River. They, they crossed over and they lived with a group of people that really they weren't supposed to be living with. And while they're there, uh, so we find Naomi, her husband, and their two sons moved to Moab because of a famine in their land. When, while they're there, their two sons marry two Moabite women. After a period of time, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, dies. Her two sons die. 
And now she's a widow. Her two daughter-in-laws are widows. And, and it's really bad. This thing starts off bad. After a while, she hears that things have improved back around Bethlehem and Jerusalem and Judea. And she says, I'm going to go back. Her two daughter-in-laws say, well, we're going to go with you. And she says, look, you know, this is a, a different place you're going. We serve a different God. We have different customs. We're different people. You're not going to be accepted there. You're the wrong ethnicity. You're the wrong religion. You're, you're the wrong person. Uh, in that day and time, a widow was a stigma in their culture. And she said, you would be better to stay here. So one of the daughters-in-law said, you know, now that I think about it, when I listen to that, I'm going to stay here. But not Ruth. Now, in Ruth chapter 1, let's uh, go to verse 15. Ruth 1.15, look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. You go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. So there was something inside Ruth that knew, that understood, that was hungry for, for God. She said, I've had tragedy. I've, I've had a hard time. Ruth was someone that uh, when, when, when a Moabite and a Jew would marry, nobody accepted them. Her marriage probably was rejected by her, her uh, husband's family. Uh, she was living in her own country in Moab, but now she was isolated. She was rejected. She was regifted everywhere she would go. And now she's a young widow, and, and she makes the decision, I'm going to stay with my mother-in-law. I'm, I'm going to go back. I want to meet her God. There's something that I need to find in my life. I'm empty. So, so we read this, verse 19. So the two women went until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi. Now watch this. This is very important. You're going to learn something important. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that the Old Testament was written as examples for us to learn. And so as I teach you, you'll notice most of the time, most of my examples I use to teach New Testament truth or Old Testament examples. I could give you stories in modern history and ancient history, but these are the examples the Holy Spirit has chose to teach us truth. And so primarily I'll always begin there. So what do we learn from this? This was written as an example to us. Now, you're going to learn something else. Not everything everyone says in the Bible is what God would say. He just gives us the whole story. In other words, Naomi's about to spew out some bitterness. It doesn't mean that what she said was correct about God, that her theology was on base. Are you with me? But we're seeing what's going on in her life. We, God doesn't cover the tough spots up for us. Maybe you could relate to some of this. So look what happens when she arrives back at Bethlehem. The city stirred. The, her, her relatives and friends are happy to see her. But watch the mindset that Naomi brings back. She says, don't call me Naomi. She told them, call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Mara means bitter. She said, I'm going to change my name. Naomi means a delight. But she says, I've changed my identity. My crisis has changed who I am. I'm not the woman I was before I went through this pain. My life was a delight and now just call me bitter. And she says, not only am I bitter, but she says, the Almighty has made me this way. 
Verse 21, I went away full, but the Lord brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Now, do you understand? That's what Naomi said. That doesn't mean it's accurate. That's her view of life. Can I tell you a couple of things? God had warned his people over and again after Joshua had conquered the, the, the promised land and, and they had taken over the nations and, and now the judges were ruling before there was a king. And he told them again and again, if you turn your back on me, if you refuse to follow my ways, if you turn away from worshiping the real God and serve the false gods of these other nations, which they did, he said the land will no longer be blessed. And so the reason there was a famine is not because God is mean or bitter or ugly or a hard taskmaster or wanted to give Naomi a hard time. It's because they had turned their backs away from God. And rather than owning up to their responsibility for the famine because of their disobedience and neglect of God, they just blame God for being mean. Do you think she has some relatives that still go to church today? I'm going to ask that again. Do you think there's some Naomiites in 2018 that when we encounter the consequences of our choices... Rather than owning our decisions and saying, man, God warned me about this. We just blame God. He's bad. So the famine in the first place was not from the hand of God. It was a consequence of their rebellion. The second thing that happened was when Elimelech and Naomi chose to take their sons and move to Moab, God did not tell them to do that. There's nothing in Scripture that says you need to leave your promise and go find an alternative. Are you listening to me? You need to leave where I planted you and go to another place. See? But Elimelech chose to do that. So we see a famine as a result of their disobedience. We see Elimelech walking away from God's place in his life. And now what does Naomi do? God is a rough God. God is a bitter God. God has robbed me. God has broken me down. And now I am bitter. I'm never going to be happy again. This is bad. God is bad. Come on. How many understand what I'm talking about? That's Naomi's mindset. Now, Ruth is connected with this lady so Ruth has lost her husband Ruth is a young widow she's now left her homeland she's left her family she's left everything she was rejected in her homeland she was despised in her home and now she's connected with this lady who, who has just given up on life and made a declaration and allowed her, her, uh, her situation to define her identity. Can I challenge you with something today? Can I challenge you? Never let your circumstances define who you are. Refuse to let your hardship determine who you are. Never change who God made you to be because your circumstances aren't working at the moment. We're still in the first chapter of Ruth. Come on. There are other chapters to be written. God's not through with us. Don't give up on God before the end of the book. So you see Naomi's condition. Now let's go to uh, chapter 2 and verse 1. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. All right? So, so watch this. Are you, are, can I help you with something? While Naomi was becoming bitter, Ruth was getting busy. Okay, I just helped you more than you thought right there. Okay, I just helped you. Naomi's getting bitter and Ruth's getting busy. They're starving. 
They're penniless. They have no income. And so Ruth says, you know, Naomi, I'm not going to sit here and die. She said, they're gathering uh, harvest right now. It's harvest time. And she said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go out in these fields and I'm going to pick up what's left over. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to, I'm going to find something. I'm going to try. We're not going to sit here and sing the blues. We're not going to sit here and talk about how bad God is. We're not going to sit here and give up. We're not going to sit here and blame everybody. Listen, when you begin to accuse you or excuse yourself, you begin to accuse yourself. When you begin to blame God, you begin to give up. When you begin to say, I'm a victim, then you've already lost. Is anybody with me right now? I want us to finish strong and start strong this next year. So, so Naomi's, Naomi's bitter and giving up. And Ruth says, I'm going to go find some food somewhere. I'm, I'm going to go do what I can. I'm going to get busy. You can get bitter, but I'm going to get busy. So she's just going uh, to pick up the leftover. She said, I'm going to go get what's there. Now look, Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. Now look at verse 3. Come on, watch this. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. I love this phrase. You're going to have to repeat this a few times. You ready? Are you ready? Look at this. As it turned out. Now somebody say that with me. You ready? As it turned out. She found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Now, they had one good relative in the whole place who was a wealthy man, who was a single man, who uh, had it going on. But Ruth didn't know that. Ruth doesn't know whose field she's in. Ruth doesn't know what's happening. But instead of sitting home getting bitter, Ruth's getting out in the field and getting busy. Anybody with me right now? It never ceased to amaze me. The harder I work, the luckier I get. Anybody tracking along with me right now? Huh? huh? You know, it's just good. I was watching some of those football games. Everybody go ahead. Everybody should be shouting today. Alabama won, Auburn won. Come on, everybody. Ought to be a good day. Good good week in Alabama. Go ahead. Enjoy yourself. (laughs) And I saw a commercial that says, the Goodyear blimp doesn't just show up for anyone. Huh? You know, you want the blimp to be where you are. You have done some work. The blimp doesn't come to the bitter house. It comes to the busy house. <laughs> the blessing. So, so look, let's say the phrase again. Come on. What's it? As it turned out. Come on, say that again. Oh, yeah. See, see, the world calls that luck. God calls it order. God calls it order. God calls it order. See, she said, I've got to get to work. We're starving here. So she just said, I'm just going to go out in the field and I'm going to wait till they do get there and then I'm going to pick up what's left. And just as it, as it turned out, she was in Boaz's field. Listen, here's what I think. God orders your steps, not your sits. Did, did you get that or said again? God orders your steps, not your sits. See, Naomi, Naomi was sitting and Ruth was stepping. Naomi was bitter, and Ruth was busy. And, and, and Naomi wasn't in the field, but Ruth was in the field. See, it's amazing. If we'll do what we can, where we are, with what we have, God's going to slip a Boaz into your life. Right at the right moment, the right time, as it turned out. Some people say, that sure was luck. No, it wasn't. That little girl said, you know what? I want to know your God. I want to find out about your God, Naomi. Now, Naomi was not a very good representative of her God, was she? But she said, there's something about this God I want to find out. So if you're going to sit here and die, I'm going to at least go try. I'm going to get some food. I'm going to do something. I'm going to move. And so as it turned out, she's in Boaz's field. 
let, let me just keep moving along with the story. Uh, good things happen. Take, take, take it from me. He, he says, look, he, he says, who is this woman working so hard? And, and they say, well, this is uh, uh, Naomi's daughter-in-law. This is Ruth, the Moabitess. He said, well, uh, listen, uh, leave a little extra for her, okay, while, while she's going. Don't pick it all. Make it easier on her. So she's getting more. See, so favor starts coming over her. And then he says, uh, now, now, look, don't, don't you touch her. You leave her alone. You keep her safe while she's working. Let her work in my field. Watch over. So what begins to happen? God will put a Boaz in your life. And provision begins to happen. And protection begins to happen. And favor begins to come on your life. Because you decided, I'm going to get busy instead of be bitter. Do you know right now in so many lives, we become so focused on what we've lost or what we don't have. And there's some people ending a year going, you know, well, this year I lost this and this year I lost that. And this year I didn't get this and I didn't get that. But you know, what do you have with you right here today? My encouragement is grab hold of what you have. Get busy where you are. You know why? Because there's a Boaz waiting for you out there. There's a favorable encounter with God that will take you to the next place in your life. You can't give up at the end of one year because Boaz is waiting for you in the next year. Come on, how many hear what I'm talking about today? So, so he says, watch over this lady and take care of her. And, 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 and she just, it, it gets better and better. And so we, we go over to chapter 3. I'm kind of, I'm kind of uh, you know, condensing this thing. And, and so uh, Naomi says to her, in essence, uh, you know, Ruth, uh, this, this uh, Mr. Boaz seems to me like, He's taking good care of you. She goes, yeah, I mean, it's been good. He, yeah, you know, we're, we're eating and, and I've been safe and, and, and they let me drink some water when I'm thirsty and they fed me and, 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 and Ruth, you know, she's just doing what she can. And, and, and blessing comes, blessing comes. Little by little, champions do daily what others do occasionally, huh? See, see, my habits are determining my destiny. I'm, I'm just doing, I'm just getting up and I'm going. Hey, listen to this. She didn't go out and work one day and get enough for that day, didn't couldn't come back for the next four days. Well, she went on out there and said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to get ahead of this thing. Come on. See, I'm going to get ahead of this thing. So she keeps going and, and the blessing keeps coming and the faithfulness produces more favor and the favor produces more faithfulness and the protection comes. And so finally, Naomi says, uh, you know, uh, even in my bitter condition, I think I see the hand of God. She says, let, let, let me help you out. Tonight's the big final night of the harvest and Boaz is going to be over at the threshing floor and and he's going to spend the night there because they're threshing the wheat and 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 the barley and we need to he's going to make sure everything's going well and that's that's what they do and so this this, this there was nothing sexual about this at all it was their custom she said what I want you to do is that you're going to go over there and lay down at his feet which was a sign of servant a sign of I, I, I'm submitting myself to you and and she says and and then uh you take his uh the the his the blanket and he covers you with it he's saying all right i'm going to protect you i i accept you in my life so so uh, ruth goes over and, and and she's there now listen to this so what's ruth been doing watch this how how many want to go from a uh uh from a rejected regift nobody wants you person to the blessing and accepted and the favor and a boaz and the thing so what what is the first thing you do you get busy while other people are getting bitter okay you be faithful while other people have given up you do what you can with what you have where you are and watch God begin to go to work in your life. And then she has to go, look at this, chapter 3 is the threshing floor. 
Now, now the threshing floor is, is a very powerful spiritual symbol. Because the threshing floor is where they would bring in all the harvest, but they would, thre- they would beat it. They thresh. They would beat the grain. Until with, with different objects, sometimes brooms, sometimes rakes, other devices. And why were they doing that? Because they were knocking the shell off the grain. They were separating the useless from the useful. And the threshing floor is a place of surrender, see? It's a place of separation. And so, so watch Ruth, watch Ruth. She's being faithful. She's being busy. She's doing what she can. And, and listen, are you with me? And when you've gone as far as you can go and done all you can do, then you have to trust God at that surrender place. You go to the threshing floor and you let God knock some of that old stuff off of you. Come on. Because she said, God, I want to know you. I, I've got to get rid of some of this idolatry. I need to get rid of some of this bad theology and some of this thinking and, 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 and I've got to trust you and you just go lay down and, and trust God and surrender and do what you've been told to do and if you are willing to pass the test of the threshing floor God will bring the next blessing into your life the threshing floor oh you know that can be a prayer season in your life it can be like a fasting time where you're, where you're drawing close to God, where you're saying, God, separate some things out of me. How many listen to what I'm saying? God, I, I'm saying to you, God, that I'm hungrier for your presence than I am for food. Come on. I'm making it easy on you this year. We're doing a Daniel fast. You get to eat. You know, but, but, but all that, all, you, know, I, I've, you know, we all do it. I've eaten more desserts since Thanksgiving. Then I do the whole year combined. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. See, we're just going to keep you from buying new clothes. If something doesn't happen, you're going to have to buy new clothes. Something's got to stop. See, we, something's got to stop. No, no offense to anybody, but if we're not careful, I don't, listen, I don't want to buy those old man Sansabel pants yet. You know what I'm saying? Got that elastic waist, you know, you just keep letting it out. I got to be careful. And so what happens, we're, we're, we're going to help you out. We're going to help you out. But what we're saying, the prayer and fasting is like a threshing floor. I'm dying to my appetites, and I'm trusting God. Prayer and fasting is a drawing close to the Lord. It's not about a diet. It's not about losing weight. It's about saying no to me and yes to him. It's about saying, wait a minute, I'm so tuned in to what I want and my appetites. I need to let that go and get tuned in to what God wants to do in my life. I need to have some time where I shut out the noise and the busyness and allow the Holy Spirit to take the shell off of me and let who I really am come out of this thing. Everybody with me? You see? And so she goes to the threshing floor. And, and while she's there, uh, Boaz recognizes that she's there. So... Uh, this is what he, 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 he blesses her and he says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. He said, uh, I, I, I want you to be my wife. I want this to work. But he said, I've got to do something first. He said, you go back home and you, you here's, and, and yet he gives her more grain. He said, let me see your shawl. And she takes it off and he fills it up and they, you go home to Naomi. I've got to do some business tomorrow. Let's go to chapter four, verse one. So we, we come to this place. Where, uh, chapter 4, verse 1 of Ruth. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. Okay? The gate of the cities is where the elders did their ruling and, and judging. It was the court of the city. So he goes there and watch this term. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, 
Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Now, the kinsman redeemer. In, in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, there's a principle there that, we, that the Jews followed called the kinsman redeemer. The kinsman redeemer was a male relative, okay? A male relative with the privilege or the responsibility to act on behalf of his family if they were in trouble, if they were in danger, or if they had need. He, he was one who rescues or delivers. He was the first in line legally. So he said, Ruth, I want to marry you. I, I, but we have to follow an order here. There's a kinsman redeemer that is more, that is first in line before me. Now, in this culture, if a man's, a man died and left a widow, it was the responsibility of another, the next family member, to marry that woman and take care of her. So, the kinsman redeemer, he says to her, Boaz says, Ruth, I love you. I want to marry you. I want to make you my wife. But we got an issue here. I'm second in line. There's another guy that has first shot at this. So we read, he's, so we're down in verse 2. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer. See, this is just like the Hallmark movie. See, first you have these strangers. And everybody has to come back to the hometown. Come on, you know, I, you, I could write this thing. Scene, scene three, you've seen them all. So, so here these strangers come in. The only thing here, it's not snowing in every scene. All right? So it's not snowing, but they come back to the hometown. So they get in the hometown, and then against all the odds, they fall in love. But then right in the last 12 minutes of the show, something happens, and it looks like it's not going to work out. Come on. Work with me here, folks. A am I telling you the truth? See, so right here, it's just looking good. And Ruth's feeling good. Things are well. I said, oh, man, we got a kinsman redeemer in the way. You know, and in the, now you play the, you know, the, the uh, uh, what am I trying to think? You know, the orchestra goes to the, you know, mellow song right now. All right. So, Boaz took ten of the elders of town and said, sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to her brother, to our brother, Elimelech, her husband. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest you buy it in presence of these uh, seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. So not only, see, see, I just, it's, it's not good, it's not nice, but the reality was uh, Ruth came along with the land. Okay? So he said, if somebody's going to buy this land and redeem it, you're the first one in line, okay? So, man, here's the bad news. I will redeem it, he said. God, can you imagine? He said, okay, I'll do it. Now, let's keep reading. Verse 5. What did I read? Let me, let me see. What was that I had you read uh, when we first got started over here about going in the field? As it turned out. Come, let me hear you say that again. All right, come on. He's the God of... As it turned out. See, you just thought you're going out in the field. But as it turned out, that was Boaz's field. See, see, now, everything's looking good. But here we come to this point, And the guy says, I'll buy it. You know, oh, no, this has ruined everything. But say it. 
as it turned out, Verse 5, Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, uh, you acquire the dead man's widow. He said, Oh, you know, as it turns out, I need to tell you one more thing. You not only buy the land, you get Ruth in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. Somebody say, As it turned out. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. So, as it turned out. But let's think about Ruth for a moment. Because here's this young woman who's just been re-gifted all her life. Devalued. Rejected. Given back. She marries an Israelite while living in Moab and they reject her. And they don't want her. It was so bad she said, I'd rather leave my family. And go with Naomi to a place I've never been as a widow. Than stay in the re-gifting, rejecting place I'm living in right now. And just when life begins to turn around for her. And she's been faithful and she's trusted God. And she's worked hard and she's done what she could. And now this man against all the odds. You had to as it turned out 15 times to get to this place. And her life is going to coming in order. And then that old enemy comes back on her. And she's standing there in front of the whole city. And the kinsman redeemer says, I- I'll buy the land. And then Boaz says, well, you're going to have to buy the land. You're going to have to have Ruth. And he looks at Ruth and he says, and I don't want it. She rejected again. She's re-gifted again. In front of the whole city, in front of the whole people. She, there she is standing as part of this, a piece of property. And a man looks at her and says, you can have her. I don't want her. If I've got to get her to get this land, I don't want this land. And it's back on her again. And you know that the devil will try to come against you at different times in your life. And bring back what people have done. And what others have done. And and the rejection and the devalue. And never being appreciated. And Ruth had to walk herself through that. But let me tell you something. There will come a time. When we allow God to work in our life. Where man may reject you. But God will choose you. Where you finally get your eyes off. What a person has done. And you get your eyes on what God is doing. And you realize that as it turned out this person rejected me this person re-gifted me but God never re-gifted me God never rejected me God never gave me away he has been tracking me down all my life trying to say to me I love you I value you I want you I need you I choose you you're the one I'm after so so when this this kinsman redeemer re-gifts her back To Boaz, we read this, verse 8. So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, buy yourself, and he removed his sandal. That was the business deal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's wife, as widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. And then they blessed them. And then they said, may the blessings of God be on you. And then we read the genealogy of Jesus. And we say, dear God, here's this Gentile 
Moabite, re-gifted, rejected, devalued woman who's now in the genealogy of Jesus, the great-grandmother of David, the greatest king who ever ruled and reigned, through whose line the Messiah came. And what I want you to understand today is that the kinsman redeemer had three qualities. Who was he? See, Boaz became that when the other man would. First, he had to be a blood relative. Second, he had to have the ability to pay the price and redeem it. And third, he had to be willing. The good news for you and I that have ever been re-gifted, rejected, is that we have the kinsman redeemer, Jesus, who left heaven and took on our flesh and became part of our family, who had enough to pay the price on the cross and shed his blood and was willing to do it. We read last week, would you put those verses up from Isaiah 53, that he knows what you're walking through today. He knows. Was he ever re-gifted? He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces, despised. And we held him in low esteem. Verse 4, look at it again. Surely he took up our pain, come on, and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken. We kept rejecting, re-gifting, re-gifting. How many times has he come to you when you were in a bad place and you said, not now, Jesus. Jesus and you re-gifted him again. How many times have you been in church in an altar call and the Holy Spirit touched your heart and you said, not today, Jesus, and you just shoved him back and said, I don't want the gift. How many times has the cross and the blood and the love and the gift of God walked right up in our face and we looked him and said, I reject you. I don't want you. I won't surrender to you. And do you know what he does? He just keeps coming back at you because he is your kinsman redeemer and if everybody else in line rejects you there's one who will never reject you or re-gift you or give you back he doesn't re-gift us he renews us he restores us he reclaims us he revitalizes us he gives us a new life that's the jesus that redeems us the kinsman redeemer you and i must stop trying to find our identity from a human being we must stop trying to find spiritual healing from a human person we must stop trying to be made whole in our spirit with an earthly relationship you can be married you can be single you can be married single divorce i don't know you can be mormon and have seven wives but if you don't have a relationship with the Redeemer, with the kinsman Redeemer, who chooses you and never rejects you, will struggle all our life to find who that is. I want you to stand with me. Let's stand together today. And I want us to pray. I want us to realize that the devil will try to cycle things back in your life. Just when Ruth thought she was through, she was re-gifted in front of the whole city. And what could have been her lowest moment became her greatest moment. See, don't give up. Just when she's re-gifted, the kinsman redeemer says, I don't want this woman. Then Boaz steps up and says, she's all I want. She's everything I want. And whatever the price, whatever the cost, he said, I'm glad to pay it because I see who this woman really is. And can I tell you something today? Maybe as you come to the end of this year, what we have to grab hold of is this. We have to stop chasing acceptance in other places. We have to stop trying to be made well by other people and start finding that the Redeemer, the kinsman Redeemer, 
the one who came to earth and put on our flesh so he could qualify the only one who could pay the price who shed his blood on the cross and the one who was willing Jesus went through so much rejection while he was here on earth it's hard to imagine it's hard to imagine the pain he felt the loneliness he felt the night he died for us and paid the price his closest ones all ran off and left him one denied him one rejected him they all deserted him while he hung on a cross he experienced the ultimate price of not knowing God separation from God on the cross my God my God why have you forsaken me for a moment in the only time in his eternal existence he sensed God the Father step back why when what caused that moment when all of our sins were laid on him when he became the sacrifice when everything we've ever done and everything that's ever been done to us was laid on him on the cross for that instant the father turned his head and his son felt and he paid that for you and me sometimes people that have been abused have said to me if God is God then why did this bad thing happen to me where was God when I was being abused can I tell you something it wasn't God that caused the abuse it was a fallen human being it was a wicked devil who comes to steal, kill and destroy but listen to me where was God when you were hurt 2,000 years before you were hurt he already walked through that pain with you he already took it on the cross Hebrews says he's been tempted in every way like we've been tempted not only was he there with you he was there before you got there he felt what you felt before you did and he knows how to heal you and bring you out of it man can reject us but God accepts us man may not choose us man may re-gift us man may devalue us man may reject our best maybe you had a marriage and you gave your best and somebody walked off and left you and you felt so rejected you felt so re-gifted you gave yourself and they looked at the gift and said I don't want this gift and passed you on but can I tell you something when we get through all the pretenders and all the fake redeemers that don't want to pay the price there's one who's never rejected you and one who's never forgotten you and one who'll never leave you or walk away from you he came from heaven to do it and he's with us today would you bow your head with me for a moment everyone today if you're here you've walked through a year and you feel regifted sometimes you feel rejected sometimes you've tried to do every single thing you can to feel valued and validated and loved but it hasn't worked and you realize today that you're trying to put the wrong pieces in the puzzle you're trying to find value from people value from life when it all begins with Christ the one who chose you before you chose him the one who loved you before you even knew who you were today would you bring yourself to him and your pain to him and your rejection to him and, and just say, Lord, here's my life. Here's my life. 
If today you've tried to do it without Jesus, but you're tired of that, and say from this moment forward, I'm going to live my life with Jesus, that's a huge decision. It's, you talk about finishing strong, it doesn't get stronger. If today's that day for you, you've tried it without him, but you say from this day forward, I go with him. Would you raise your hand right now and say, that's me, Pastor. I choose Jesus today. I choose Jesus. Wherever you are, I choose Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Who else? Say, I choose Jesus. I choose him today. Who else today? I just want to wait a minute. Man, it's such a critical moment in your life to be loved, to be accepted. I want to ask our elders, would you come to the front today? And there's one other thing I want us to do before we go. Those are raise your hand. Thank you. You can put them down in a moment. I'm going to invite you to come, and I want somebody to pray with you today. But you know, there are a lot of great Christian people in this room today. Please listen to me. Come on. I want you to leave this year free. I want you to walk out strong. You love God with all your heart. Our elders and our pastors are going to come. And today, if you love Jesus, but man, there's the pain of some rejection. Maybe a parent. I just sense this strongly. You feel like your kids have rejected you. You know, you raised them, you loved them, and that just, it's not working. They didn't do what you thought they would do. They're not talking with you. They're not checking on you. They're not in relationship. You deal with that. Maybe the pain of divorce. Maybe the pain of uh, uh, on your job. It's just there's places. Can I tell you, there's healing in this room right now. There's healing in this room. Mighty, mighty, mighty healing. Can I tell you, there's freedom in this room right now. There's freedom in this room. Glorious freedom in this room. Don't leave heavy today. Don't leave with a burden today. Don't leave with any kind of rejection. God loves you. He wants you to come release that thing today and walk out of here valued, accepted, loved, beloved. I'm going to pray this prayer. And as I'm praying today, would you let someone pray with you? Would you just step out of your seat? I know you love God. You're a Christian. And and you know what? If you weren't valuable, the devil wouldn't be trying to steal something away from you right now. But you need somebody to agree with you in prayer. Or maybe you just want to come make a stand and say, God, I'm going to come stand at the front of this room before I leave today. And I'm going to say I love you and I thank you that you love me. And I'm going to go into this new year ready for your blessing. See, God has a Boaz waiting for you. But we've got to let go of all the fakes and counterfeits to get there, don't we? We've got to let go of everything we tried to do before God sent his answer, his redeemer.